Well, this morning, we're going to continue our series on finding hope, and we're going to look particularly at finding hope in the midst of anxiety or fear. Now, for some of you, you are dialed in because this is your thing. You struggle with worry, you struggle with fear and anxiety, and so you really want to hear this sermon. But for others of you, maybe anxiety is not your thing. You've never really struggled with it much, and so you may be tempted to tune out this morning. I don't want you to do that, so I am going to give you the gift of some things to worry about so you can join the rest of us. So you may have noticed in the news a few weeks ago, scientists reset the doomsday clock. It's a symbol representing the likelihood of a man-made global catastrophe, particularly thermonuclear war. It's been maintained since 1947 by the members of the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. The closer the clock is set to midnight, the closer they think we are to doomsday. The closest it's ever been is two minutes till midnight. That was set once in 19. 19- 1953, after the U.S. and the Soviet Union started testing hydrogen bombs, and right now, as of last month, we're as close as we've ever been. Here's the second thing. Sometime, apparently, between now and April, a Chinese space station is going to re-enter Earth's atmosphere. They unfortunately lost contact with it back in 2016 and have no control whatsoever over it. It's 34 feet long, 11 feet in diameter, weighs 19,000 pounds, and no one knows where it's going to hit. Now a little closer to home. Some of you have your cell phones out. So scientists at the University of Arizona uh, recently did an extensive study and found that the average cell phone contains 10 times more bacteria than the average public toilet seat. 16% of all cell phones have human fecal matter on them. So yes, I have been dousing my cell phone in alcohol since reading that. There is a lot to worry about in this world. We live in anxious times, and so we need to know, how do you find hope in the midst of the worry and anxiety that plague us? As I talk to you about how to find hope in the midst of this battle with anxiety, I'm going to share, with her permission, my wife's story. So Julie has been battling a a clinical anxiety disorder for the last four years. And so if you're thinking to yourself, my, they're a fine pair. Yes, we are. So we both have our own mental disorders. We both take our own medication. And it's actually a running joke in our house. Did my depression cause her anxiety or did her anxiety cause my depression? We don't know, but here we are. What's actually really, uh, what I'm really grateful for, though, is that I have come to see that because we both struggle with a mental disorder, we're able to share with one another an incredible level of understanding and compassion that maybe we wouldn't have otherwise. Lord knows I had to be humbled by my own mental disorder to be able to understand the anxiety disorder that Julie struggles with because anxiety has never been my jam. I I don't really struggle much with that. I would feel like the common amount of worry that you feel when you have a big test or a bill comes in the mail, but it wouldn't last long. It would never become panic. And so in my youth, it was easy for me to look down on people who struggled with worry And think, well, if they would just grow up and be more mature and trust Jesus more. Because you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 25. He said, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried. So there it is. It's as simple as that. If you're worrying, stop it. Just have more faith in Jesus. And so when I thought about how to encourage someone who battled anxiety or an anxiety disorder, I was not that different from Bob Newhart in a famous sketch 
tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No. No, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Kazan. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most, we find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, you're there. Stop it! <laughs> what's, what's the problem, Kathy? I don't like this. I don't like this therapy at all. You're just telling me to stop it. And, and, you, and you, don't, you don't like that? No, I don't. So you think we're, we're moving too fast, is that it? Yes. Yes, I do. All right, then let me, uh, let me uh, give you ten words that I, I think will uh, clear everything up for you. Uh, you want to you get a pad and a pencil for this one? All right. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. All right, here are the ten words. Stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box! <laughs> Hopefully we're a little bit more gracious than Bob Newhart. And yet, that is pretty much exactly what we're doing when we challenge a fellow believer who's struggling with anxiety or worry and tell them, just stop it and trust God more. What I have learned over my battle with depression and Julie's battle with an anxiety disorder is sometimes anxiety is not a choice and telling someone to stop it is not good advice. So this morning, I want to walk you through this thing called anxiety. I want to help you understand where worry and fear comes from and how you deal with it. Okay, so let's jump into the topic of, of anxiety. What's going on in anxiety? Well, actually, anxiety in small doses and at the right time is a gift from God. You need it. It's good for you. Why? Well, think about walking through a dark parking lot alone at night. That's a scary situation. Anxiety is there to protect you. That's a physiological response of your body to a dangerous situation. It makes your senses all of a sudden hyper alert. Your muscles tense up. You are ready to fight or run. That's good, right? But when anxiety persists for a long time, it can become harmful. And for most of us, we're going to have periods in our lives when anxiety exceeds what is beneficial and it becomes harmful. 
So anxiety, it's good in small doses in the right situations. It's bad when it exceeds those. And so for a lot of us, we have experienced that excessive anxiety. We see it all the time these days on the college campus. I was actually talking to a professor after the first service who said they're, they're seeing like a 50% rise just in the last few years of students dealing with like hyper anxiety. That's actually been proven by research. They're finding now that over over 53% of college students described feeling more than average or tremendous levels of stress within the past 12 months. Well, tremendous stress isn't beneficial stress. That becomes harmful to your body and to your mind. And if it's left untreated, it is likely to develop into what we call an anxiety disorder. Anxiety disorders are actually a whole group of different medical conditions that people struggle with. So anxiety disorders... There we go. A group of mental disorders characterized by significant prolonged feelings of anxiety and fear. And there's quite a few different challenges that we would fit under this thing called an anxiety disorder. This could describe a generalized anxiety disorder. Lots of people struggle with that. It's just you are anxious all the time for a whole host of reasons. There's social anxiety disorder, so particularly you're anxious in a social setting. There's phobias, so, so irrational fears of something, um, such as agoraphobia, leaving your house. There's separation anxiety, afraid to, to be separated from a loved one. There's panic disorder, which actually has a very palpable effect on your body, on your respiratory system. There's PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. There's a lot of different conditions we would fit under this thing called anxiety disorders. And we know now that these are incredibly common. They're incredibly common. I was reading a book called The Anxiety and Phobia Workbook published back in 2010. And they found that anxiety disorders are now the number one mental health problem in America among women. Okay, so women in particular are susceptible to this. For men, it is the number two mental health problem, second only to drug and alcohol abuse. Okay, so it is incredibly common. When we look at the numbers, it's about 17% of the United States. That's 50 million people suffering panic attacks, phobias, anxiety disorders in any given year. Okay, so more people will struggle with it in their lifetime, 17% of the population in any given year. You add it all up, it ends up being about a quarter of U.S. adults are going to have a diagnosable anxiety disorder at some point in their lives. So it's incredibly common, and here's the key thing to know. It is on the rise. It is becoming more common, especially for younger generations. It is going up by leaps and bounds. Why is that? Well, this workbook again, it says people living in Western society are currently experiencing more stress than they have at any previous time in history. And it is this stress that explains the increased incidence of anxiety disorders. What the authors are trying to say is there's something changing in our world. 
This society, this culture that we live in is changing in such a way that is leading to a rise in the incidence of anxiety disorders. We're seeing it more and more and more all around us, especially among the young. And so I have noticed this really disturbing trend over the last 12 months or so among kind of generations like my age in the 40s and older. There's a lot of people who are calling younger generations snowflakes. So high schoolers and college students, they're snowflakes, meaning they're weak, they're, they're susceptible to all kinds of stuff, they don't have the strength to hold it together. Well, let's be clear. First of all, that's unchristian. It's not a nice thing to say. Second, it's flat wrong. It's actually verifiably false. The pace of change in our world is accelerating at a greater rate than it ever has in the history of the human race. As a result, the ground below our collective feet is moving faster than it ever has. And so younger generations do not have the time or social stability that we took for granted to adapt to these rapid changes. It's no wonder they're dealing with anxiety more than we did. It's not that they're weaker. It's that the world they live in is harder than ours was. So anxiety is already incredibly common, and you should know that in your lifetime it's going to become far more common. We need to know what to do when we face anxiety disorders or when someone we know or love does. How do we help them? And so I'm going to walk you through a list of practical steps to help deal with anxiety disorders. And this is not an exhaustive list. One sermon is not nearly enough to handle the entire topic of anxiety. I'm just going to kind of walk you through my top five. None of them is stop it. It's not good advice for someone dealing with an anxiety disorder. All of them are meant to help you practically work towards hope and healing. So step number one is probably one that you should all be able to guess if you've been listening to these other sermons. You got to talk about it. Talk about it with God. Talk about it with one another. Talk about it with experts. We have to be willing to talk about our struggles, particularly our mental and emotional struggles. Now that can be hard for us, particularly us men. For some reason, we have bought into this lie that it is strength for men to hide their emotions. Guess what? That is a lie, and it's not at all found in the Bible. The men and women of the Bible are incredibly emotionally vulnerable. That includes Moses and David and Solomon and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Jesus himself, who wept when he saw Lazarus' sisters weeping. Sharing your emotions and emotional struggles with others is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of great strength and wisdom. Why? Because nothing gets better when it's left in the dark. Ever. Not, not ever. If you want to find hope and healing from whatever you're struggling with, whether it's depression like me or anxiety or loneliness or addiction, whatever it is, you have to bring it out in the light for it to get better. If it's left in the dark, it will consume you. I guarantee it. So if you're struggling with anxiety or worry or fear, you must be willing to talk about it. That includes talking with God about that. And so we have a a famous passage in 1 Peter where Peter challenges us in chapter 5. He says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I love the word picture here, casting all your anxiety. The idea is you're, you're rolling up your anxiety onto God. 
And the idea is you're taking all the anxiety that's weighing you down, you're taking it off your shoulders and you're putting it on God's shoulders. And that's okay because God has really big shoulders. He can carry your anxiety. And the great news, he actually wants to carry your anxiety. For some reason, I I found this in myself for years. There was like this hesitance for me to talk to God about like these struggles I was having. Why? Because they made me feel like a bad Christian, like I was immature. I should be all joyful and rejoicing all the time. And so I don't want to admit this stuff to God. Guess what? That's pride. That's pride. Because God knows none of us have it together. God knows all of us are broken, whether we'll admit it to one another or not. And so the verse is specifically saying it is humility. It is honoring God when we cry out to him about our anxiety, when we pour out our fears, our worries at his feet. He loves that. Why? Because it honors him as father. Okay, it's acknowledging that we are weak. So you need to confess it to God. Talk to God about your struggles. Talk to one another about your struggles. I talked about this last week, that we need to change how we think about what it means to be human. When God designed the human race, he did not make you to be an individual. How do I know that? Because when Adam was an individual alone in the garden, what did God say? This is not good. And so he provided a companion in Eve. And providing a companion in Eve is really, it's actually less about marriage. It's more about companionship. It's more about a statement that it is not good for a human being to try to do life alone. We were designed to do life in community. We will die without a family. And by family, I mean this, this church family, this community that we're part of. So you were designed to lean on others. They were designed to lean on you. And that's how you find health physically, spiritually, and emotionally. So you got to talk about it with other people. And finally, you got to talk about it with experts. When we're talking about clinical anxiety, we're talking about something that's very complex, very challenging. You need to talk with someone who's trained to walk you through that and treat you for that. So I'm talking about counselors, psychologists, doctors, people who are trained to help you through that situation. Please, if you feel ashamed at the thought of seeing a counselor, if you feel like that's a sign of weakness or failure, that is a lie. You need to move beyond that. Seeing a counselor we saw last week is in the Bible, in Proverbs, it is a sign of strength and wisdom. We're fools if we don't. Okay, so go talk with an expert. It was an expert who saved my wife in the midst of her battle with anxiety. When it got to its worst, which was four years ago, Julie's always struggled with anxiety to some extent, but she found that the normal things no longer were enough. So all the normal things we do, like reading the Bible, praying, listening to worship music, exercising, getting good sleep, none of those things were enough to manage the anxiety she was feeling. In fact, anxiety just continued to grow. Panic set in so deeply that it began to rob her of sleep. She couldn't eat. She couldn't rest. She couldn't get up off the couch. And so she realized, I got to go talk to someone. I don't know what's happening. So she went and talked with an expert, with a counselor here in town who was incredibly helpful. Julie expected that when she sat down with this counselor, the counselor was going to give her maybe a new technique to practice or some new truth that she needed to think about. Instead, the counselor, five minutes into the conversation, literally five minutes into Julie telling the counselor her story, the counselor looked Julie in the eyes and said, you are slipping into a pit that you cannot climb out of. You need medication right now. Send her to the doctor immediately. 
that expert was able to make an assessment that Julie and I couldn't make. Julie couldn't make it because you can never assess yourself. You need to know that. You're never going to see yourself accurately. I couldn't make it because even as a pastor, I'm not trained in clinical counseling. We needed someone who is a specialist to be able to assess Julie's needs and help her towards healing. So incredibly helpful. I hope you guys will talk to a counselor whenever you struggle with things like depression or anxiety, anything like that. So step number one is to talk with an expert. That leads us to step number two, because as you talk to an expert, and an expert can help you take the important step of getting to the causes. What is behind this anxiety? What is leading me to this battle with anxiety and fear in my soul? Now, I can't walk you through all of the causes. The list would be far too long. I'm just going to give you some of the most common. Okay, so common cause number one, genetics. Anxiety is actually a a genetic connection. There's genetics behind it. And so if you look into your family tree and you see that your parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, relatives, that any of them struggled with anxiety or panic, the chances are greatly increased that you will and that your kids will. And that's not anybody's fault. You're not guilty for that. That's just the reality of living in a broken world. You're broken. And so guess what? Your DNA is broken. All of us inherit and pass on brokenness. It's just part of being human. And for some family trees, that's going to include anxiety. Okay, so genetics can be behind it. Second, past trauma. Traumatic experiences in your life can lead to anxiety disorders. We see this especially with childhood trauma. If you or someone you know experienced significant trauma as a child, you need to know that the, the likelihood of battling something like anxiety, depression, loneliness, or suicidal thoughts skyrockets. That doesn't mean anybody's beyond hope. No, no, no. But you just need to be aware. Trauma as children is, is incredibly hard. It's hard on adults as well. We see it with adults who experience violence or abuse or um, warfare or go through a long, painful disease that often that can lead to an, a, a real battle with anxiety. And so let me just pause and say, if you have experienced trauma at any point in your life, whether as a child or an adult, any kind of trauma, physical, uh, sexual, emotional, please, if you have not talked to a counselor, I strongly encourage you to do so. You need somebody to talk you through that. PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is not just for soldiers. It's everywhere. It's for anyone who's been through trauma. So please go talk to a counselor. Make sure that you're doing the things that you need to do to be able to walk in hope and healing despite that trauma in your past. Okay, so past trauma can lead to it. The third common cause that we see for anxiety is present danger. And this one makes perfect sense. Again, this is you walking through a dark parking lot in the middle of the night. You feel anxious. Why? Because you need to. There's a threat. You need to be ready. The problem is, what if the threat never goes away? What if it's not you're walking through a dark parking lot in the middle of the night? What if it's, hey, you're married to somebody who's abusing you and you're with them every day? Or what if it's you're living in poverty and you don't know where you're going to get food for your kids tonight? We actually see the incidence of anxiety disorders really increase among people living in abusive situations and among the poor. People living in poverty face so much we can't even imagine because that fear is always there. And fear that doesn't go away leads to an anxiety disorder. 
Fourth common cause of anxiety disorders are, are what we just call fear of the future. This is what you generally think about when you think about like worrying. You're worrying about something that might happen. You might lose your job. You might get cancer. Your kids might rebel and run away. And none of that is certain, but you feel fear over that possible future. Well, that's clearly not helpful anxiety because you don't need to like run or fight in the moment. You don't need that adrenaline shot. This is always harmful anxiety when it's fear about some possible future. Finally, another, another cause, prolonged stress. This is very common when somebody's dealing with stress over a long period of time. It often leads to an anxiety disorder. Again, quoting the Anxiety and Phobia Workbook, it says anxiety disorders are an outcome of cumulative stress acting over time. And what that means is if you look at your life and you say, wow, for like three or four years now, I've just been stressed all the time. Well, it may be that you are able to cope with that stress month after month for the first few years, but eventually you reach your limit. Everybody does. Think of a bathtub filling up. You can fill it up with stress for a long time, but eventually you're going to get to the top and it's going to overflow into an anxiety disorder. Really common. Uh, Final possible cause I'll give you is a medical issue. We had a really challenging case in the college ministry a number of years ago. We had a young college girl fall into just massive panic attacks. They just, they set in and like couldn't figure out where they were coming from. Those, those panic attacks, constant panic attacks eventually led to a full on break with reality. And, and we got her into a clinic and she got treatment and we found out, guess what it was? She had just started a new medication for a completely unrelated medical issue. Problem is our bodies are so complex that sometimes you treat one thing and it can lead to completely unexpected consequences. And that pause, by the way, is what it's really important. If you struggle with depression or anxiety or panic, please go talk to your doctor if you haven't. Your, your doctor's there to help you look at all of you physically and see, could there be some other medical issue that's contributing to this? There is often a medical or biological unexpected cause behind some anxiety that people deal with. Okay, so again, very common to see that. Now, what about for Julie? What were the reasons for her anxiety? Well, there's a combination, actually. There's there's at least four things going on um, in my wife's case. One is genetics. So we look at her family tree. It's obvious. There have been people struggling with fear and anxiety for a long time among her family. Okay, so genetics. And then second, prolonged stress. We look back at our lives over the last 10 years. We went through three years of infertility and failed treatments trying to get pregnant. Then we had the kids, and when they were born, Julie just about died. We had to put her in ICU for a while. And when she finally got out, Gracie, our, uh, so we had twins, Luke and Gracie. Gracie had colic um, for four months, which colic is just your child shouts at you for no reason and with no cure. And for us, the only thing we could do is wear Gracie. So Julie would strap Gracie on and then do lunges all day. But there's another one there that you got to care for. So it created a phenomenal level of stress. We deal with it in different ways. For me, those first four months were so stressful that I don't remember them. My brain is blocked at all. I have no memories of my children's first six months of life. For Julie, it manifested itself in phantom crying, which is where phantom screaming, basically at any day, at any time, day or night, particularly at night, any noise can set off an actual panic response in her because she thinks her child is screaming. So Julie, actually, for the last five or six years, she sleeps with earplugs all the time so she can't hear the air conditioner kick on, for example. So prolonged stress built up over time. That was going on for a lot of years. But four years ago, um, the next reason, cause number three, Julie began to experience a number of medical problems. 
and it started with a tooth that she had to have a root canal on. And they went and had a root canal, and they missed a root, and so it went necrotic and caused a lot of pain. And so she had to have eight more root canals on that tooth, and it caused a phenomenal amount of pain for many months that triggered migraines, which she's, she's always had migraines occasionally. Now she just had them all the time, just migraines after migraines. And that led to enough pain that her stomach started hurting her really bad, just intense pain. And so we saw a lot of specialists over that time. We kept going to specialists, and um, they kept diagnosing it as um, something to do with eating. And so we tried every diet that you've heard of, and we, we tried cutting everything out of the diet, and um, we tried eating at different times, and we tried elevating the beds so or beds at like this big angle. Nothing seemed to work. Um, interestingly, we found out later, it was panic attacks that manifest in different ways. Panic attacks, I've seen um, one in a friend of mine that sent him to the hospital thinking he was having a heart attack. For Julie, it was stomach pain, some kind of stomach cramping going on constantly for months. And so um, because we didn't know that it was panic at the time, we thought that it was something to do with diet. Um, she settled into kind of the fourth cause for, for anxiety, fear of the future. She was afraid she was never going to get better. She was afraid she was never going to eat again. She started losing a ton of weight. Um, she was afraid she'd never sleep again. All of that set in and led her into this anxiety disorder and these panic attacks. And part of the reason that I walk you through those reasons is I want you to know if that, if that describes your life, because I know Julie's not alone, you need to know anyone would get sunk by those circumstances. If you're dealing with panic attacks or an anxiety disorder and you think, well, it's because I'm weak. No, you're not. You're not weak. That would sink anybody's boat to face those kind of circumstances in life. You're not weak. You're just living in a highly broken world and a highly broken body. And we suffer. We suffer. And for some of us, that suffering is going to be in the form of an anxiety disorder like it was for Julie. So once you have a sense of what's causing your battle with anxiety or fear or worry, what do you do about it? Well, again, I I can't give you an exhaustive list. I'm going to give you a few things that are particularly helpful for treating an anxiety disorder. So um, our our next big step, fight negative self-talk. Self-talk kind of sounds like a funny word. Self-talk, all I'm talking about is you're hearing something in your head that's not me, right? You're hearing yourself talking to yourself. You have thoughts, a train of thought. And that train of thought is ultimately directable by you. You can direct what you're going to think about. And, and what has been found is that if you choose to allow your train of thought to focus on negative things, it will move your life in a negative direction. So what is negative self-talk? This is when you're just living your life and thinking life is awful and it's never going to get better. This is when you're thinking, I, I hate myself. I'm, I'm so shameful. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so immature. This is all my fault. This is when you think God is, he does not love me. He does not hear me. He does not care about me. That kind of negative self-talk begins to shape your perception of reality. Okay, so that it basically becomes, in a sense, who you are. That begins to control what you think. And so I I love a quote by um, Ralph Waldo Emerson. He says, beware of what you dwell on for that you shall surely become. Whatever you let your mind fixate on, that thought pattern is going to shape you. So if it's negative self-talk, that's going to move your life in a negative direction. But the good news is you can fight back with positive self-talk. You can fill your mind with a positive stream of thoughts that moves you in a positive direction. And so this is why we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4. So one of the more famous passages on the subject of worry or anxiety. If you look at Philippians chapter 4, we'll start in verse 6. 
Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And in this passage, Paul gives us two good things to dwell on. Two things that should fill our self-talk. Number one is truth. Truth, whatever is true, honorable, right, fill your mind with that which is true. Particularly, he's talking about scriptural truths. So taking truth out of scripture, truth about God, truth about God's promises, and and filling your mind with it. And that means reading it often. It means meditating it, it on it. It means memorizing it. And so for me in my life, that was Psalm 23. I've told you that before. Pretty much every day at some point, I'm going to rehearse Psalm 23 to myself. For Julie, her go-to passage is Isaiah chapter 40. The whole chapter is beautiful, but particularly the end of the chapter is especially famous. If you guys can bring up Isaiah chapter 40. Ah, there it is. Isaiah chapter 40. Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. And for Julie, particularly the the end there, they will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become, that became like her life mantra. Just say that over and over again to herself. She is moving her self-talk from a negative direction to a positive direction. So memorize scripture, fill your mind with it. Second thing to fill your mind with from Philippians chapter four is gratitude. You may have noticed this little caveat when Paul says to pray to God whenever you're anxious. Did you notice he says pray with thanksgiving? That doesn't mean, well, ask God to make things better, and then when they're better, you'll say thanks. No, it means when you're actually praying for things to get better, pause for a moment and say thank you for things God has done in the past. Okay, rehearse your blessings, count your blessings, practice gratitude towards God. Why? Because gratitude builds faith, which leads to peace. Let me put that together. Gratitude builds faith. How? Because gratitude, you're reminding yourself of all the good things God has done for you. That convinces your mind that God truly can be trusted. Okay, so gratitude leads to faith. Faith leads to peace. Why? Because the more you trust God, the more you will see peace growing in your heart. And so if you want peace, practice gratitude. And this is actually why we sung a very funny word in the last song this morning. I don't know if you've ever seen Come Thou Found. And at some point he says, raise your Ebenezer. And as a kid, I sang that in our little Bible church. And I always wondered what, what in the world is going on there. Well, Ebenezer is actually a funny little thing. Here's a picture if you'll put it up. Ebenezer is a thing. It is a stack of stones. So in the Old Testament, the Israelites were called to raise an Ebenezer anytime God did something big and faithful for them. And that was that you go get stones and build a monument and typically build the monument in a very public place where you'll pass it frequently on the way to the store or wherever you're going. And so by seeing that monument, you are reminded of what? That God is good. It helps you practice gratitude every time you pass that. And so I would encourage you in your life, build Ebenezer's. 
You can go out in your yard and like build an actual literal Ebenezer if you want. That's great. Or you can find other things. Some people keep a gratitude journal where they like write down the prayer requests that God has answered in their lives. Other people will frame like a picture that's really meaningful to them or a verse on the wall that reminds them of something good God's done. I've seen a lot of people who will get a tattoo actually about something that God has done in their lives answering a prayer request. Whatever it takes. Raise your Ebenezer to remind yourself that God is good and taking care of you. Okay, so practice gratitude. Fill your life, fill your mind with truth and gratitude, and it will help you to find relief when anxiety sets in. Fourth step, take care of yourself. What is the ultimate ethic in the Christian life? Like, who is the best Christian possible? Well, the ultimate ethic is dying for someone else, right? Dying for someone else, dying for your friend, dying for another person. Being a martyr, that's the ultimate idea. There's just one problem with being a martyr. You die. And so you can't do the stuff God's called you to do. God has not given most of us the freedom to go die now. He has us here to do stuff. We have kids to take care of. We have spouses to take care of. We have aging parents to take care of. We have jobs to do. We have a community to support. We have meaningful work to do in this world. And so we can't go die today. We need to take care of ourselves today so that we can take care of other people. Now, the Bible actually assumes you're going to do that. In a very famous passage, Philippians chapter 2, Paul challenges us to take care of other people. But first he says, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Do you notice what that verse assumes? Right at the beginning, that you're taking care of yourself. You're taking care of your interests. Julie and I call this the put your mask on first principle. Like when you get on an airplane, they talk to you about, you know, oxygen mask is going to fall. And if you have a baby, whose mask do you put on first? Your own. So then you can take care of the child. That feels so foreign to us. I got to die so I can take care. No, you got to live because you got work to do. You need to take care of other people. That means you first got to take care of yourself. So very practically, what does that look like taking care of yourself? First, it means knowing your limits. So whenever you talk about anxiety, you should talk about limits. Anxiety is often fueled by comparisons. We compare ourselves to other people to see whether we're measuring up. And since we're looking on Facebook and everybody's idealized life, we never measure up well. But you need to realize comparing yourself to anyone else on earth is always a losing proposition because it's a false narrative. There is no other you on earth to compare yourself with. Every human being is unique. Every human being has a unique set of limits, emotional, relational, physical limits. And success in this life is knowing and living up to your limits, not someone else's limits. So very practically, I'll use myself as an example. Um, it, It is very commonly thought that a good pastor is going to go to lunch after church with someone in the congregation. I don't do that, and I won't ever do that. And the reason is, is because after I preach a sermon, I need to crawl into a hole. And whatever emotional reserves I have belong to my wife and kids. Now, I'd be happy to get lunch with you tomorrow, any other time of the week, not Sunday. When I was a new pastor, when I was young, I felt guilty about that. I felt like I didn't measure up to these other pastors until God opened my eyes and helped me realize I'm not called to be them. I wasn't given their ministry. I wasn't designed to be like them. I'm me. And so I have to be the best husband, father, and pastor I can be. And that means knowing and living within my limits. You need to do the same. Know and live within your limits. Don't compare yourself to anyone else. That's how you take care of yourself, part one. Part two, take care of your body. 
We talked about this last week. You got to get good sleep, eat well. You got to get exercise. Julie is actually in the best shape of her life, and it's not because of how it makes her look. It's about how it makes her mind feel. She's realized that for her, exercise is an essential part of mental health because you got to take care of your body. Um, finally, you got to pursue things that refresh you. So for me, I mentioned last week, it's cars. I, I just get a lot of joy out of working on cars. For Julie, it's our little dog, Coco. We just got this little dog uh, two months ago, which is surprising because two months before that, I told my kids, we will never get a dog. Um, first of all, because they were being bad that day. Um, second, because I'm not a dog guy and they make a lot of mess and bark and all kinds of stuff. And so I just swore I'd never have a dog. And I guess never means two months in my household, which now my kids know, which is really problematic. But we got this dog and ultimately I was wrong because there is just nothing like a little dog sitting in your lap to melt away the anxiety. She's been incredibly therapeutic for Julie. So take care of yourself. Fifth and final step with dealing with anxiety disorders, consider medication. It may be that you practice all of these steps that we're talking about today and it's still not enough for you. That's what it was for Julie. That's what it was like for me and my depression. I still needed to go on medication. Julie still needed to go on medication. And it was wonderful when she sat down with her doctor, really wise doctor, said, Julie, you have to understand, here's what's going on. No matter what things you're practicing, whether it be scripture memory or exercise or good sleep, your body, particularly your endocrine system, thinks that someone has tied you to railroad tracks and there's a train coming at you. You are so pumped full of adrenaline and cortisol, you are never going to get over these panic attacks unless you get on medication. And so we put her on medication and it made a world of difference. And I want you to know if, if you need to go on anxiety meds, there is no shame and no embarrassment in that. You have not failed. You are not immature. Our doctor was very clear for my depression meds, for her anxiety meds. He said, you guys got to realize, it's just like the person dealing with heart disease. We would not hesitate to put them on medication. Why are you so hesitant to go on medication for what's going on up here? It's biological. You need the help. And so we both have found great healing and great help through medication. And my hope is that you will also, without any sense of shame or guilt over it, So practice these five steps and let me leave you with a word of encouragement, a word of hope. I want you to know that if you will practice these steps we've talked about this morning, it really can get better. It really can. Now, God may not completely cure you in this life. He's not made any promise of that. May not be till the next life that your battle with anxiety fully goes away. It may not be till the next life that my battle with depression fully goes away, but it can get better. It can get much better. There is hope. The key is that you stay in the fight. And, and actually, let me take you back to Matthew 6, 25, where Jesus said, do not be worried. And we look at that, and those of us who worry, we feel fear. You've got to understand what Jesus is saying is, do not surrender to worry. That's what he means, because you can't control how you feel. You can't control if you feel afraid, if you feel worried, if you feel anxious. You're not guilty for that. What you can control is whether you give up. If you give up and just say, it it owns me, that's not good. What Jesus wants is that you stay in the fight. You keep practicing these steps. You keep reaching out for help. You keep memorizing scripture. You keep taking care of your body. You keep taking your medications. You keep fighting for hope. If you do that, then God is immensely pleased with you. My prayer is that you will stay in the fight. You will not give up. You will know that God loves you. 
God can use you. And you are part of a family where all of us are equally broken in unique ways. And we love having you here. Now, some of the stuff that you've heard this morning has led you to think, I need to talk to someone. I would highly encourage you to talk to Chris Thompson. He's at the back of the room. He led us off this morning. Send him an email. It's all on the bulletin. You, you can talk to me too, but I'm at a different campus and there's a lot of people there talking to me. So it'd be great if we could spread it out a little bit. So talk to Chris. He would love to help you. He is inc- he's incredible at helping people through things like anxiety. So let me pray for you guys. And then if you will, after we pray, if you will help stack the chairs, that would be incredibly helpful because we got to put all of this away as soon as we can. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you love us and that you are patient towards us, that you are compassionate, that you are gracious. Thank you that when we struggle with things like an anxiety disorder or a panic attack or depression or loneliness, you're not looking down from heaven with a frown on your face. You are not disappointed in us thinking, what a weakling, how shameful. Instead, you're looking down on us with love. And, and with grace and with great hope. We praise you, Lord, that, that you love broken people like us. And, and you actually want us to admit that brokenness and to turn it over to you in humility so that you can be our good, good father who, who strengthens us and heals us and helps us in our moment of need. And Lord, particularly, we want to lift up anyone here today who is struggling with anxiety or worry or fear. We pray that this morning would, would help them to believe that, that they are not a lesser person because of that, that they are not shameful because of that. I pray that they would sense from you acceptance and love. I pray that they would walk out of here with some practical steps to take to be able to get hope and healing. I pray that they would talk to someone, that they would not try to hide it. I pray that you would connect them with an excellent counselor or doctor or pastor, someone who can help them to make progress in this area of struggle. I pray, Heavenly Father, that as a church family, that people would come to grace and find a warm and welcoming family that loves the broken. I pray, Lord, that this would be a place where everyone feels safe and loved and encouraged. I pray that we would walk with you. We thank you so much for your incredible patience for us. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. Next week, we'll talk about addiction. Again, if you can help us put away the chairs, that would be incredibly helpful.